0: If you've got your Bibles, you might like to tune with me to that passage on the screen, to uh, 1 Chronicles. We're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures today, hope you don't mind, so you might want to have your Bibles out. Of course, we'll put the uh, passages on the screen too. Um, but 1 Chronicles is where I want to start, and um, really it's in the light of the gift days that are coming up over the next few Sundays. I want to just be preparing us, preparing our hearts that... We might make the best of those gift days and i mean that personally if i want to give to something i want to be in a good place to give i want to be in faith i want to i want to be stirred to give i don't want to just give because it's a tradition Uh, that would be very sad i want to get the full benefit of these gift days so uh, in order to prepare for that uh, certainly today i wanted to spend a little bit of time reflecting on on one of the great characters in scripture all right, one of the great characters in Scripture, of course, it's King David, who is one of the great characters of Scripture. There's so many things that make uh, David so outstanding, aren't there? He's a great man of faith. He would have had to have been to take Goliath out, to even attack Goliath. Uh, we know, too, that he was a great soldier. If you read the story of David, you'll know he could fight with a sword in his hand. But also, you'll know that he could sing and he could write songs for God which is an amazing combination, so he could use a sword one moment and play a guitar the next. And uh, that's David. It's a wonderful combination. And we know too that he's a man of real heart and humility, don't we? Uh, Wonderful humility, and also a man who understands what the grace of God really is, Uh, in the sense that he knows where he's come from. Alright, so he knows that once he was nowhere. He was a, a forgotten t- t- child, really, in a large family. You know, the family kind of passed him over when Samuel came onto the scene. So he's part of a large family, nowhere, no one's ever heard of him. But we know the story that God, by his grace, brings him through until he becomes king of Israel. Now of course he wasn't perfect. We know that too, don't we? He he fell terribly. There was a moment in his life where he really messed up. Badly, And he had trouble with his family at various times too. But even so, he's quite exceptional. And just to say, God's assessment of him is very high too. It's not just us. God's assessment is very high. In fact, in Acts 13, God says this about David. He says, David is a man after my own heart. Which I think is a wonderful thing to have said about you, isn't it? For God to say that about you. You know, he is or she is a a, a lady after my own heart. It's the most wonderful thing if you can imagine God to say, all the things you could put on your gravestone as an epitaph, I don't think you'll get much better than that. He was a man after my own heart. But you know that as I think about David, there's one other thing about him that I think stands out overall and which I think best reflects this heart that god rates so highly and it's simply this and i'll put it up on the screen as a kind of a summary statement and it says that david supremely has a passion for the presence and glory of god to be among his people and see it spread to the ends of the earth all right, I want to say that again. This is David. This is what, what makes him most outstanding. He's a man who has a passion for the presence and glory of God to be among his people and to see it spread to the very ends of the earth. That's his great passion. And that's something that I believe God longs for you and me to have too. I don't want to just coast through life, 2.4 children and a job and a this and a that and a pension. No, I want a pension, a passion for him and that's God's heart for me and that's what I see in the life of David an incredible passion for this you may well say well okay Peter, where do you see this and and how has it really played out in his life as a man well well it's kind of what I want to look at today and I want to start with this chapter going back to the 11th chapter of 1 Chronicles which actually for David is a high point for him. And he's an older picture there because he is an older man at this time. He's about 45 years old, maybe 48 years old. And uh, he is now king of Israel, finally. All right? If you know the story, you'll know that he's no more than about maybe 13 or 14 years old when Samuel comes through his hometown and anoints him to become king of Israel. But about 30 or so years have to pass by before it actually happens. 30 years of, of, of all kinds of experiences, disappointment. He was hounded by Saul. He's chased into exile. He's living in caves. He's expelled from the country. Those 30 years are terrible years for David. But, but finally, at last, in this chapter, he is king. You know, He's 45, 48. I'm king at last, king of Israel. And you could say, therefore, that at this moment, look, if anyone deserves to finally kick back and enjoy it, it's David, all right? It's David. I mean, for goodness sake, he's gone through trial after trial, and now it's like, David, just relax and enjoy the throne, all right? Walk around the palace for a while. You know, swim in the pool and uh, uh, eat the royal food and... uh, Enjoy the adulation of the crowd, for goodness sake. I mean, for 30 years you've been hounded by Saul. Now you are there. Enjoy the kingship. And uh, it would be easy for David to do that, I'm sure. And yet, listen, as you read the chapters that follow, you suddenly realise that David, far from taking things easy, he hasn't even begun. It's amazing. It's like he goes to yarn's second half course that he runs and discovers the really really big thing to go for and it's more than being a king it's a really really big thing and actually it's this as we've already said he wants to see the presence and the glory of God among his people and see it radiate out into all the earth that's what David's really after compared to that king whatever it's too small it's too small I'm going for something far bigger than that. I'm out to get the presence and glory of God among his people and out to the ends of the earth. That's David. And that's what I'm after. David says, It's like David says, that's my real passion. King, yes, I am king. But you want to know my real passion? It's this. It's the bigger thing. And he begins straight away. Just follow the story, right? The um, 11th chapter of Chronicles, he becomes king of all Israel. Chapter 12, they describe some of the soldiers around him. Chapter 13 is the second day. All right, Day to two of being king is chapter 13. And it opens with verse 3 where, where David gathers his, his counsels around him and he says this, Let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel. Let us bring the ark of God back to us. Right? Let us bring the ark of our God. It's day two of the kingship. Let us bring the ark of God back. Now you need to understand what the ark is if you don't know what the ark of God really means. It's a box and it was the the box, see the holding, carrying on their shoulders, the box that Moses and the children of Israel carried through uh, that whole period of time into the Promised Land. Uh, but the thing about this box, it was extraordinary because in it and on it was a wonderful sense of the presence of God, All right, It was the presence of God. To, to the Jews, it was the presence of God. And for a 50-year period or so, it had been hiding out the back, not in Jerusalem, but some small town, miles away, just on its own, doing nothing at all, just gathering dust in an attic somewhere, and it's just miles away for 50 years. And so David, instead of relaxing back and taking it easy as king, day two of being king is, I want the ark back. I want to bring God's presence back among us, I want to start going for the really, really big thing. And he goes for it. And you'll see that he goes for this with a passion. And this is my point. A passion that is heavenly and apostolic and of a kind that God wants to put in you and me. It's a passion. A passion that's marked by two things. Just two things. The first thing is this. It is this. It is a persevering passion. Passion, all right, a persevering passion, a passion that pushes through the knocks and the disappointments, and it pushes through that and, uh, so it starts with David wanting to get the ark back now, as we said, the ark is, is somewhere outside of Jerusalem, hidden away in a town somewhere, and, and then David gathers everybody in the whole nation of Israel in. And uh, they go out to this little town where the ark is and they kind of gather out and they, and they grab this ark, this box, and they try and haul it back again to Jerusalem. And they celebrate as they go. So it says in, uh, in Chronicles 13, it says, David and all of the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. All right, they're really going for it. The nation is involved. It's a massive party. And then, as you know the story, something terrible happens. It says this, When they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled, the oxen carrying it. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he, he died... Before God. I mean, it's a total disaster. Imagine being in a bit in a, in a large party, music, dancing, lights, and somebody pulls the plug out. It's like everything goes dark, the music stops, confusion. And that's exactly what happens here. It's like the guy dies and everything grinds to a halt. It's a total disaster. And David, it says, was angry. i mean, actually, it was more like he was distraught. He was embarrassed. He was humiliated by the whole thing. And I can just imagine David, this whole thing's grinding to a halt. It's an absolute disaster. David dispersing the crowd. You know, we've got to go home again. It's a total failure. And I, in my mind, I imagine David shuffling back to his home again and not wanting to talk to anybody. And it's a total mess. And so he puts the ark, it's still outside of Jerusalem. They just park it somewhere. Whole thing's a mess, and I guess at that moment David could have so easily thought, Well, I gave it a try, gave it my best shot, and uh, it's just not to be, you know. We tried, but it's a disaster. And I guess there are times, aren't there, in our own lives when, when going for God can be a hardship, can be tough, and there can be disappointments, and sometimes we don't get the breakthrough that we want. Or the prayers aren't answered in the way we think they should. Or, or the house sale falls through that we were believing God for. Or the job we believe for doesn't come through. Or the person we pray for on that occasion isn't healed. Or the ministry didn't take off in the way that we thought it would. Or the job didn't take off in the way we thought it would. Or even people just don't understand us. You know, it can be a hardship sometimes. And sometimes the temptation then is to back off and to settle for less. Isn't that true? Go back to a Christianity that maybe isn't so demanding of us. That's the temptation. But the thing about David is that he was, has a persevering passion. A persevering passion. A passion that won't let go, that won't be put off, and that won't settle for less. And you can see it here because it goes on from here. The the whole thing's a disaster, but it doesn't stop there because by chapter 15, he can't let it go. He can't let it go. This passion to see God amongst his people, and so he goes for it again. He goes for it again. Although this time he's careful to do it correctly. And so he gets everybody out again. They go and find out where the ark is still. And uh, he gets the Levites to carry the ark. And it says this this time, The priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. In other words, they do it right and this time they do. They bring the ark into Jerusalem. And as the presence of God comes into Jerusalem, there is worship, there is celebration, there is triumph. You get that amazing scene when David himself starts to dance. And he dances and he dances before the ark. And I don't know about you, but I've wondered sometimes, what did David's dance look like? What kind of a dance was that? That he was so undignified or so out there as he danced, and I thought about that. David, how did David dance? And there's a sense where I don't know, but you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I thought several months ago I had a glimpse of what it may have looked like. And how uh, hope I don't embarrass the person I'm going to name, but but there we were in this room here. We were worshiping God with such exuberance. It was one of those worship times where you really can't hold back and everybody's praising God with all their might. And I remember praising God and thinking, how much more can we do? And then out of the corner of my eye, I see Hudson break out into this incredible, impromptu dance before the presence of the Lord. And if you were there, you would know it was so moving, wasn't it? It was so moving to see this just wonderful, authentic celebration. And I think David was a dancer like that. I think it was just like that. Wonderful dance. And at last, the presence of God is back where it should be among the people. And the point is, is David pushes through and God's presence is back among his people. And I guess what I'm saying, guys, this morning is that, is that we want to have a passion that will not be put off and will not fade. Amen. That will not be, in the end, uh, succumbed to disappointment. And you see, I know this, even in this hall here, there are believers here, people here, you've been believers for years, some of you. And some of you have had dreams and prophecies and a sense of call for things that maybe they haven't come through yet. And Steve Knott's word is all about contending, about knowing that God has spoken, therefore we will push through. And that's exactly what we see David doing here. And I believe this, that God would come upon you afresh and reawaken that passion again if you felt that it slipped between your fingers or just got pushed back in the busyness of life and career and paying the bills and getting the kids through school. I believe that God by His Spirit would reawaken your passion again for the presence of God. Wonderful. So, So that's the first thing that David's passion is. It's a persevering passion. My own passion is this. My own passion is that I would be part of a church that will truly carry revival outside of itself to affect the nation and beyond. That's my private passion. And I will press on until the glory comes. And uh, I trust you have a similar passion. So that's the first thing about David's passion. It's It's a persevering passion. And so the presence of God returns. Yet, yet by chapter 17, if you read a bit further on, by chapter 17, David's twitching again. He starts twitching and it says this in chapter 17, he says, after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Because of course that's what they did, they brought the Ark in and they put it under a A tabernacle, a tent. And so David's now thinking, well, here I am in a palace, and yet the ark of the Lord, the presence of God, is in a tent. Yes, the presence is amongst his people, but I want something more glorious still. And in chapter 22, he puts it like this. He says, I'm after this, that the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame, and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Wow. In other words, I want to build a temple which will bring the glory of God not just just to us, but to the ends of the earth so that everyone will hear about it and be drawn to God. I want to build the joy of the whole earth as psalmists talk about the temple afterwards. The joy of the whole earth. That's the kind of temple I want to build for the presence of God. That's what David is after. And again, actually, it's a yearning that we all share, if you think about it. We want to see God's glory amongst us in his presence. I love Jack's song, that the glory of God be all around us and we fall face down. That's our heart, to see more of God's glory. And yet, of course, it's even more than that. We want to see God's glory beyond ourselves, into our community, into our places of work, our universities, out into Wellington, into the nation and beyond. That's our cry. And that's David's passion. And so he says to the prophet... He says, to, he says this, he, he comes to him and he, and he simply says, I, I, I want to build that. I want to build this house. Now, if you know the story, you'll know this, and Nathan says, good idea, David, off you go. That night, God appears to him, to Nathan, and he says to Nathan, you need to talk to David. I don't want him to b- 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 build it. And so Nathan, the next day, has to come, and he talks to David, he says, David, God says this, love your heart, love your heart but you're not going to do do, do it. You're not going to construct the temple. Your son will. All right? So this is God speaking. Love your heart. Wonderful idea. You're not going to build it. Your son will build the temple. Now, again, we know the story because David has to accept that because it's God speaking to him. And again, you could think, well, okay, if I'm David and God has said that, well, then that's it, then maybe it's time to dial down. Maybe now it is time to lay the vision down. Let's let's be king. Let's just do what a king does. But he doesn't. It's amazing. It's amazing. He says he does this. He says, look, he says to, to the prophet, he says, Look, the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. And then David says, This, therefore. I will make preparations for it. In other words, if I'm not allowed to build the temple, you know, this temple through which the glory of God will reach the nations, then I'll do everything in my power but build it. Alright? I'll stop short of building it, but I'll do everything else. And so he does. He gathers workmen from all around the Middle East and you know woodcutters and stone craftsmen. He gathers them into Jerusalem and, uh, and he gathers... Wealth from the government of Israel. And so, listen, some of the stuff he gathers. He gathers 3,750 tonnes of, of gold, which in today's money is billions of uh, dollars, actually. And silver, 37,000 tonnes of silver. Billions of dollars, actually. Bronze and iron, too great to be weighed. Unknown amount of wood and stone. He gathers it all in. And then... And then on that he does something else and this is what I want you to focus on. He does this too. He says this. In my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. In other words, yes, I've, I've poured huge amounts into this from the kingdom itself but that's not enough above and beyond that I'm opening my account my bank account here it is and uh, my personal treasures and it's an act of devotion it's an act of devotion in my devotion to the temple of the Lord I'm pouring everything I have into it and you see this highlights for me the other thing about David's passion we saw earlier that it's a persevering passion, but the other thing about David's passion is that it's a priceless passion. It's a priceless passion. A passion that is expressed in substance, in cost, in cash. And that's what David's doing here. His passion for God's house and his presence, his glory is reflected in his bank account. And... Uh, I find that very challenging. It isn't separated from that. You see, in our culture, the thought of that is huge. Because in our culture, if we ask how we express the devotion we have for God, there are so many ways we can say it. There are so many ways we can express devotion. Many good ways. So we talk about what we're doing earlier today, and we worship God, our hands are raised, and we're praising Him, and we say, that's the way we express devotion – and so we should because it is. It's wonderful devotion. And then again, we can say this we, we can talk about how we behave towards people outside of the church and how we seek to live a godly way and live holy in a, in a society which isn't. And we say that's our devotion. And it is. It is devotion. Wonderful. Or we say this, we talk about the way we, we give time and our energy to the church, and so we sign up for teams and ministry teams and set up teams and other teams in the church. We say that's devotion, and it is devotion. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But there is another area of devotion that actually strikes deeper than all of these, and that traditionally, culturally, we shy away from. It's our own personal possessions. It's our cash it's our finance and I understand it because I feel the same I'm a child of my culture too so I've grown up believing my money is mine you know there's spiritual stuff over there and there's my money my money my money my money it's all about my money and uh, out of my money comes all my security and out of my money comes uh, well all the things I want you know the the car the house the entertainment system the whatever it may be it's my money But we need to understand, don't we, that in God's eyes, what we do with that, with our money, is one of the most authentic expressions of devotion we have. It really is. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He simply says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, whatever you spend your money on will truly reflect where your heart really is and what's most important to you. It's just how it is. If you spend $20,000 on a nice brand new car and $50 on your family, well, where's your heart, really? (laughs) You might say you're a family man, but I wonder, you know? It's it's reflected by what you give and where you give. Well, for David, he's just saying this, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver. So for David, it's the temple. It's the presence. It's that God's glory might reach to the ends of the earth. That's where his heart truly is. And that's why his passion is a priceless passion, an authentic devotion because it affects his bank account. (laughs) And of course, as I'm preparing this talk, as I'm preparing for the gift days that are coming up, I'm already asking God, God, what about me? Is my devotion to you, is my desire for your glory so great that it it truly significantly impacts on my bank account? I'm already praying that. Or is it somewhere uh, above a new pair of nice shoes but below the new TV? Where is it? And I'm praying that way, and that's why these gift days that are coming up, can I just say they are gift days, not necessarily for God, but for us. They're a gift to us. say, well, how's that? Well, because they're a great opportunity to ask ourselves again, honestly, where does my devotion for God really sit? They're a great provocation. How much do I truly value his presence and his kingdom and reaching the ends of the earth and seeing souls saved and people set free and the kingdom coming? Is it a priceless passion? Do I have a heart for this? And you see, as I look at the three things we're giving to this year, I can say that all of them are in line with seeing God's presence and glory reaching way beyond me. I see the work that the DCM is doing. remember John Buckerfield last Sunday talking about that. What they're doing in terms of giving hope to the hopeless. Genuinely seeing people who have nothing coming through getting a job a place to live and hope in their hearts i look at that and i go wow that's the heart of god that's wonderful to support i just see this video here where we talk about the kids and i see giving to the kids work as a chance to really bless the younger kids the younger children see their lives changed and not just them but to see their parents lives change too i say wow what a wonderful opportunity I see that in giving to the officers a chance to to really see those officers become a wonderful hub and resource base to reach the community with the gospel. Hallelujah. So I see it right in line with David's bigger thing, his bigger thing, to see God's presence and glory reaching way beyond me. So I'm praying, God, help me in a way that expresses true devotion to you from my personal treasures. That's what I'm praying. I'm honestly praying these days. Last year, I know Julie and I, we did this thing where we said, oh, well, you know, it's a charity, right? So because it's a charity, we give to the church throughout the year. It's wonderful. The IRD, or the government, says we'll give 15% of it back. So whatever you give to the church over the year, the government gives you 15% back. That's a great deal, isn't it? That's wonderful. Very generous of the government. 33%. A third! Hallelujah! <laughs> oh, because last year we thought, well, we'll give it, we'll give it to the offering. And so we did. And, uh, and was that easy? No. Did it hurt? Yes. And here we are a year on from then, I'm saying, God, what shall we do? And, and we're busy and we're charging around doing all kinds of stuff and uh, Billy having a chance to, to talk about it and pray about it. So I said to Julie, what about again this year? Could we do it again this year as an act of devotion? And uh, Julie said, oh, yeah, I'm praying about it as so well. We're both praying about it. And she tacks me on the shoulder just as the worship time is starting. And she says, just do it, you know, do what you feel. And uh, now, why am I saying that not to blow any trumpet? It, it's I don't want to ask you to consider doing something that I'm not already doing. All right, I, we're, we're doing this. We believe this stuff. And uh, for us, will it hurt? Yes, it will hurt. Uh, and uh, is it easy no it's not easy Uh, but we are doing this out of our own expression of devotion it's only one thing it's uh, you may give far more but or you may give less I'm just asking you to please pray about it just pray about it it must be from a grateful heart and a and a heart that really wants to worship him Uh, so that's what I'm just doing just sort of expressing what we're doing how we're responding please respond any way you wish But can I ask you to pray about what you give and let it be a true reflection of devotion, not just something that you do. You see, in the end, it's about true passion. It's about seeing a vision through that is on God's heart. It's about us truly having a heart after his and knowing that our God is a God who wants to bless us. And whatever we give, he outgives us anyway. And it's a wonderful privilege and a wonderful calling to give ourselves to that. Glory of God coming among us and to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. So can I ask you to think and pray earnestly about these offering days? Pray about them. Let it be an act of devotion, whatever that means to you. Can I ask you to stand, please? The wonderful thing is, is that the, the house that David built became a house for the nations. And the glory of God truly did stretch out far beyond, far beyond him to reach the ends of the earth. God gave him a persevering passion. And I just want to take a moment, even as we're standing before God, just to be aware that, that for some of us it's like, God, you've spoken to me in the past. You've given me a sense of calling You've stirred me through prophecies, through words that people have brought. But life goes on and and time's just, you know, time's can take from us. I want to give a moment just if that is you for you to receive again a new sense of passion, allow God to reawaken that in your heart. So can you just bow your head before him? Forget about the person next to you. It's about standing before God. The God who gives us meaning and purpose. Steve's word earlier was about contending. In God's heart isn't that we contend as slaves, but that we run as children and that we contend with passion. Yet we live in a world that saps us of passion. And I believe that God wants to put his spirit upon certainly some of us again who have felt it lapse. Our God is a gracious God. Hallelujah. 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 Come Holy Spirit. Come upon us Lord. Thank you you're the God who heals. Thank you you're the God who rests upon us by His Spirit and puts true passion in our hearts. Passion to Push through until the glory comes. I just want to challenge you as we're standing before God now to bring before him the deep yearnings of your own heart that you know he put in you, some of you, years ago. Things that God has spoken to you. Dreams he's given you vision that excited you just bring it before God now and allow his Holy Spirit to rest on you and reawaken that passion again come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit And maybe for some of us, in order to receive that passion, we need to let go of other things. And maybe at least some of those other things are to do with just stuff, just possessions, just wishing for the bigger thing, the maybe the bigger car or the bigger house when actually the first steps of regaining our passion for him may be that we present our bank account before God as well and say, God, please rule over that too. Father, I pray for these gift days coming up, that they will be true opportunities for devotion to you and worship. Please deliver anyone here from a sense of pressure or just doing it because of it's a tradition. But I pray, Lord, for each one, it will be an act of devotion. An act of true devotion. Where we declare, this is where our heart is. Because this is what we give. And because our heart is there, it's a joy. It's a joy. Father, I pray, grip each one of us again with that passion to a priceless passion. Not just for these gift days, but in the months and the years ahead. Help us, Lord, to see that what we have materially is an opportunity to show our devotion to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Maybe as Jack just plays just for a moment longer. We sang earlier that wonderful song that the glory might be around us, that we might bow down, that we might give our lives afresh to Him. That's what that song's really about. As we do that, I want to encourage you. Respond to God. And maybe you say, I want that passion again and I don't have it. If that is you, then we would love to stand with you and pray with you and ask the Holy Spirit to meet with you afresh and to awaken that passion and to give you that sense of excitement and joy again. If that is you in a the meeting, if that's you, then come forward. We'd love to gather around and stand with you and pray for you.